0: Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. In this episode 238, exploring other worlds with Becky motherfucking Chambers.
1: I don't know if that's Becky's legal middle name, but oh Man. my God, Becky Chambers. I'm so excited. Anyone who has listened to this podcast and heard my recommendations for books
0: knows how much I love Becky Chambers and the Wayfarer series as a whole. We love her book so much. And anytime you talk to someone who's writing, you really enjoy... At least for me, I'm just kind of like, oh, my God, I hope my questions are okay. Oh, my God, I hope that (laughs) uh, I'm, I'm taking up her time. But we had such a nice time with Becky. She was so easy to talk to. I think we covered some fantastic stuff that I didn't even like. I love when a conversation goes somewhere I didn't expect it to go. And looking back, it's like this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. And that's how I feel about this episode. So I cannot wait for all of you to hear it.
1: Yeah, I think everyone is going to have a good, good time. Because I know we had a really good time interviewing Becky.
0: We did. And we had a really good time when we opened our inboxes and saw that there were two new patrons. Thank you so much, Alex and Rebecca. We so appreciate you. Along with our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Allison, Brian, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Justin, Keegan, Neaselkins, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazi, and Julia. Don't forget it. The legend level patrons, Audra, Chimera or Change, Clara, Drew, Jack Marie, J. Bay Bay, Key, Lada, Morgan, Morgan H., Necro Royalty, Taylor, and B.M. Yep, Scotty.
1: These are all people that I would be so glad to
0: share a spaceship hurtling through space with. Like,
1: I don't think that we'd have any problems at all. No, me neither.
0: Well, Julia, it has been uh, very hot here in New York. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to to beat the heat?
1: So I just finished another book and uh, shout out to my cousin who listened to the, this show. And he's like, every time you make a recommendation for a book, it's usually a Hugo Award winner. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> doing that on purpose. That's just the kind of books I like. Yeah. So this time around, I'm recommending Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. It's a first book in a trilogy. And it's all about like... Mathematics and calendars that allow warfare to happen in interesting and different ways. And also, it's like one of those things where a character is possessed by the ghost of another character. It's
0: fascinating. It's very, very good. Sounds amazing. If I saw any one of those descriptors on the back of a book, I'd be like, Julia, (laughs) send send
1: me the link.
0: (laughs) Well, that sounds great. And as always, you can find um, a link to all the books we recommend on the show below or at slash books. Books. Below what, Amanda? Below the title of this episode in the podcast app that you're happening and listening to us in. That's true. And if you run out of books to read or you're on errands and on a walk and you're like, gosh, I caught up on the whole spirits archive, what will I do? great news for you. We're part of a podcast collective called Multitude, and there are so many great podcasts for you to enjoy. This week, we'd love to recommend that you try Horse. This is a show not about basketball, but about basketball culture and myth and legend and all of the wonderful things that make this sport fascinating, not just what happens on the court. Hosts Adam and Mike want everybody to know how great the culture and history of basketball is. So whether it's a shot by shot breakdown of Get Your Head in the Game from High School Musical or breaking down whether or not Airbud is actually good at basketball, they have you covered. He's not. He's just a dog that can hit no. a ball into a basket. Yeah the like wild history of uh, like flagrant betting uh, and rivalries between players. It's it's fascinating. They're truly the gods of our time. And this is one of the, you know, the myths that holds the U.S. together. And it's well worth getting into. Yeah. So new episodes release
1: every other Monday. You just search horse in your podcast app or check out horsehoops.com. And it's a podcast about basketball because basketball is more than what happens on the court. It's also all the cool internet beefs.
0: So go ahead and check that out. But without further ado, we will let you get into the Spirits Podcast Episode 238 Exploring Other Worlds with Becky Chambers. We are Starstruck, flattered, delighted to welcome Becky Chambers to the podcast. Becky, hello. Thank you for joining us. Please introduce yourselves to the the few conspirators out there who may not know you and your writing.
2: I'm Becky Chambers. I'm a science fiction author. I'm best known for my Wayfarers series, the final installment of which is The Galaxy and the Ground Within, which will be out next month. I'm also the author of various standalone works, and I'm based in Northern California.
1: I'm going to admit something up front here. I did the day after my wedding read the entirety of To Be Taught If Fortunate. Just I was like, I woke up in the morning, I was like, I have nothing to do now that it is post wedding time. I guess I'll just read this novella real quick.
2: I am I'm honored by the timing and uh, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that um, you know, I could I could give you a jaunt in space after
1: It was wonderful. Wedding madness, yes. <laughs> it was perfect. It was the perfect way to come down from all of that. But we're so excited to have you on the show. Becky, thank you so much. Oh no, I'm I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're going to talk a little bit about your books and stuff like that and also just world building as a whole. I would love to kind of get started with a couple of questions that I had for you. So one of the big things that I love about your work, and I was talking to a friend who is a big fan of yours as well, I kind of introduced them to your books. We were talking about how in a lot of science fiction, especially the stuff that like we grew up with, it's very intrinsically colonial. And your stories really seem to subvert that in a lot of ways. There's a lot of instances in the Wayfarer series, for instance, where like species talk about how they were colonists in the past, like acknowledge the harm that they did, and then kind of show that they're trying to make amends, make reparations, or like continue working to make things right. So was the legacy of like space colonialism something that you were thinking about when you approached these stories? I kind of noticed that there's in particular the difference in viewpoints between like the human Martians and And then the Exodus fleet, which I feel like we should give some primer to with this question to your books. It definitely was something that was on my mind
2: at the start, but I think it has grown and evolved as the series has progressed, as have my own views on it. You know, when I first started the series... I was riffing so heavily off of this space opera that I grew up with and loved, you know, uh, Star Trek and Star Wars and Farscape and and all of that. Um, that's all very much my route. And the aim was to say, you know, what's it what's it like for an ordinary person to live here? I really wanted to build exactly that kind of setting, but just flip the camera around and just see, you know, if, if you're an average Joe what does your life look like here? But in that, I did want to pick apart some of the things that made me go, hmm, about (laughs) space opera. And colonialism is definitely one of them. It is something that is inherent and actually not just to, uh, you know, how we talk about space fictionally, but in the real world as well. Um, I mean, we're, we're still seeing that today with the discourse around, you know, should we go settle Mars and the language that gets used there? It's definitely something that's been on my mind from the start. And with this last book, um, Galaxy in the Ground Within, it's something I I lean into a lot more. And that was, I feel like it's been like a a background consideration in the past, like something I always try to keep in mind. And with this one, I was really trying to lean into that a little more and digging into, does this even need to be part of space opera at all? Do we even need to have this? And you know, with The Wayfarer's Universe, I do because I've written three other books and I have to (laughs) stick with it. How can we tell stories in space, that either, as you said, subvert or avoid this entirely, I think is a question worth asking and one I, I plan to continue um, tinkering with as, as years go on.
0: How do you define space
2: opera? Oh man, do you have <laughs> six hours? How long is this podcast?
1: <laughs> as long as we need it to be. We can do a full thesis. That's fine. Let's go. <laughs>
2: I feel like space opera. Okay, I mean there's two answers to this. In in very broad strokes, you can you can look at space opera as, you know, this umbrella term of saying, you know, if you're looking for the specific vibe of multi-species spaceports and big intergalactic communities and you can hop planets around, you know, like like you're hopping neighborhoods, that's space opera. More specifically, space opera typically involves big political machinations. You've got these larger than life plots. It is very operatic in its structure. Star Wars is a great example of that. You have, you know, these epic battles between good and evil. You often have emperors or, or you know, like galactic royalty or, you know, it's, it's, it's very over the top. So in some respects, I do think I write space opera because that's the tradition I'm pulling from. But in others, I'm not. I'm really not, you know, because I, <laughs> because I'm talking about like working in middle-class people who do not affect the politics of the galaxy. I would say I'm more space opera-ish if we're going by a traditional definition. But as with all things genre-related, I mean, you know, if you ask 10 people that question, you'll get 11 different answers.
1: So... (laughs) Yeah, when I tend to recommend your books to other people, I tend to describe them as cozy Mm sci-fi, which is not to say like there's no conflict or anything, but it very much feels like you're kind of following the everyday lives of these people. Like you mentioned before, kind of flipping the camera to rather than the, you know, adventure of the week of Star Trek or something like that, you're being like, well, what's the everyday life of those people living on that planet like? Is there like a reason that you chose to tell those kind of smaller scale stories rather than the big intergalactic war or the, you know, trade federation to steal (laughs) from Star Wars a little bit? I've been watching a lot of Clone Wars lately. As
2: you should, as you
1: rightly should. And that's,
2: and I, (laughs) I do want to preface this by saying that's my meat and potatoes. Like, I have always loved those stories and I still continue to. It's twofold. Like, on the one hand, growing up with those stories, I never saw myself as the hero. I just didn't. Relate to that, um, in part because I'm an enormous coward, but also just I was, you know, I didn't see myself in that role, but I wanted to live in those worlds. And so I, I was always fascinated by the extras in the background of those sorts of shots the people walking through the spaceport, you know, the person who just owns, like, I don't know, a bakery that gets wrecked during whatever like speeder chase were, <laughs> we're doing. You know, like, who are those people? I want to know who they are. What's it like to be living alongside all this nonsense? But the other part of it, it kind of goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier about you know the 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 discourse we have around space exploration here in the real world. It's always been one of the elite. Back during the space race, you're talking about the military elite. Those are the people who get to go to space. You know the the people with the right stuff, the best of the best. You know nowadays, what we're looking for in the astronaut corps is very much the intellectual elite. You know if you look at the resumes of modern day astronauts, they're better people. <laughs> Most of us, you know, and and now as we're moving into you know the whole sort of SpaceX era, who has the money to go? And so now it's the economic elite, right? And so it's still, regardless of of what decade we're talking about, it's a very very narrow portion of humanity that actually gets to go there. And the same is true for a lot of space opera or sci-fi in general. These stories are about exceptional people. They're about chosen ones. They're about princesses. They're about even if it's like some sort of rebel underdog, it's the rebel underdog who changes the whole galaxy. I see those narratives as being very interlinked, that we have this idea that space is for people who are special, quote unquote. And that's simply not the case. The universe belongs to all of us equally. We are all made of stardust in that in that very Carl Sagan sort of way. And so I, I wanted it to be cozy. I wanted it to be low key. I wanted it to be something that you could slip into really easily because I wanted to try to drive home this idea that you can be here too. You don't have to be anything special. You don't have to leave a big mark on the galaxy to be part of it and to be at home here. That's been probably the biggest anchor point I've had through this series is trying to really make that stick.
1: Yeah, and you do a fantastic job in the world building of kind of the differences in the human societies. I touched on it earlier, talking about the human Martians versus the Exodus fleet. Can you give our audience a little like, taste of what that background is, just that they, you know, I want them to go out and buy the books, but I also want them to be like, what, what are we talking about What are we talking huh? about here? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the
2: the history of humanity in this series, which is very old history by the time we we jump into the books, is that humans, um, we rendered our planet uninhabitable and started to leave en masse. And the first people, and I really am sorry that I called this, or not called, I wasn't the person <laughs> who did, but I <laughs> wish I hadn't been writing this, was that like the first people to leave are the wealthy who went to Mars. You immediately have this split between the haves and the have-nots. You know the, the people who can afford it go to Mars and they terraform the planet and they settle there, and everybody else is just sort of stuck. And so their their last ditch survival attempt is basically to strip down all the cities on Earth and use the the resources to build these giant generation ships. Um, and at this point, we don't know that there's life elsewhere in the galaxy. It really is just this sort of Hail Mary, like, let's jump in a ship and go and see what's out there. It's very human. Yeah. So Mars becomes its own sort of, it becomes sort of the anchor of the solar system. Like, you know, if you're talking about, you know, people within the Solar Republic, as it comes to be called, that's the capital there. Basically, the Exodus fleet is the one who makes contact with the Galactic Commons, which is the the broader multi-species Parliament out there and they they have a very insular culture but they also are the ones who interface most directly with alien cultures and so you have this very very big cultural split between Martians and and people from the solar Republic and accidents just philosophically historically they've come together on a lot of things by the time we meet them both in in this series but there's still just um, there's a really wide gulf between them. And generally, um, humans, if they're looking at differences between themselves, like identifying where you come from in that regard is usually the, the 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 most key thing to them. Like that's the biggest difference is, you know, are you are you from the solar system? Or are you from the fleet is what they're looking for first.
1: And if you uh, like all of that, that was just described there. A uh, record of a spaceborne is the one that focuses specifically on the accident fleet. And oh, my
0: God, made me cry when I read it. So <laughs> Just a high recommendation here from Julia. We are sponsored this week by Brooklinen. Now we said in the intro, it has been so hot here in New York and even hotter in other parts of the US. And something that I really appreciate about summer is when I'm able to close the door to my room, turn on the air conditioning and get into bed under my lightest duvet. And I didn't think that that sort of experience of like getting into bed where it's slightly chilly outside and then I'm slightly warm in my bed could get me better. But then it did because I got Brooklinen sheets. And Julia, this shit is legit. This shit is no joke. Brooklinen, they're the buttery softest I call them. And they make incredible sheets. But not just that. They have new products, colors, and patterns all the time in sheets, robes, towels, loungewear, t-shirts, and other things that you're going to want to put on and never take off. And of course, something that I really appreciate is that they are very confident in their products and they come with a 365-day warranty. That's a whole year. That is all year. And fans are confident too. They have received over 75,000 five-star reviews and counting. And very, very good customer service. I can, you know, attest to that firsthand that it's very easy to do and make a return or an exchange if you need to. And that's just a must with uh, this day and age in e-commerce.
1: So give yourself the comfort refresh that you deserve this summer and shop their summer savings event happening right now at brooklinen.com or use the promo code SPIRITS anytime to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That is B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code SPIRITS for $20 off with a minimum purchase purchase of $100. That's brooklinen.com, promo code SPIRITS. So recently, Jake and I had gone out east for a, a nice little beach day, but we got home and we were so, so hungry, but we could not decide what we wanted to get we just like could not agree on what place to order from but amanda we just ordered from doordash and we got from two different restaurants i got thai food jake got pizza and doordash delivered both of them doordash connects you with the restaurants that you love right now and right to your door and you can also get grocery essentials which is huge you can get drinks or snacks or other household items delivered to you in under an hour sometimes i forget to buy tampons or deodorant and i'm like oh i can't get to the store DoorDash got me. And ordering is super easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want it, and your items will be left safely outside your door with the contactless delivery drop-off setting. And with over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants. And for a limited time, our listeners get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code CREEPYCOOL. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code Creepy Cool. Don't forget that's code Creepy Cool for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change. Terms apply. Subject to change. Terms apply.
0: Julia, as the world is beginning to open up in some places, in some ways, you might be going out again. You might be having plans later at night. I know bars in our area are now open till four in the morning, which they used to close at 10, which is exciting. And as you kind of get back into the swing of things, you know, when you're walking around, it's great to have that peace of mind that you feel safe. And when you leave the house and you're looking for your keys, your phone, your wallet, your mask, it's really easy to add one more thing before you walk out the door. With She's Birdie, this is, A personal safety alarm designed to be easy to carry and simple to use. I have a couple, one in each of the bags that I use, so I don't even have to think about it. It's just in there all the time. And when you activate it with a quick pull, the alarm emits a loud siren, and there's also a flashing strobe light. So if you ever need it, need to deter someone, need to draw attention to you, it is a really safe way. It's not pepper spray, right? Like it's not a chemical or deterrent. You can feel confident to use it without the worry. And even just having it makes you feel a little safer walking around. If that's something that you are looking for, over 300,000 birdie alarms have been sold and they have thousands of five star reviews. And right now, she's birdie is offering
1: our listeners 15% off your first purchase when you go to she's slash spirits. Go to she's birdies spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash spirits for 15% off your first purchase. That's she's birdie.com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. I'm really glad that we get to talk to you about this because not only are you an incredible writer, but you're such a master of world building and you just learn all of that, not through like giant info dumps or anything like that, but you're able to kind of convey these huge intergalactic worlds without the audience feeling particularly lost or confused or out of the loop and also not getting these huge info dumps is there like a way that you kind of go about making sure like I don't want to lose my audience but at the same time I have to give them all of this backstory about the world and the galaxies and the species that inhabit it and stuff like that
2: it's something I'm constantly taking the temperature of as I work mm-hmm. um because I don't want the audience to feel overloaded I don't want to you know come in and You know, slap you upside the head with five pages of exposition. (laughs) The way I typically go about it is, I will go through and do a lot of the world building first. There are obviously things I do as I go along, um, but I have a uh, locally hosted wiki where I keep all of my info, and I have way more details than I will ever need. And I find that that really helps me to be able to not just give myself a good foundation, but also decide in a kind of surgical way, what do people actually need to know here? And what, what are the ways that I can communicate these things? And usually they're very simple. I focus a lot on things like food or what, you know, an actual home, you know, like a home in terms of the actual structure of it is like, what kind of technology are they using? Like just the very, very basic everyday stuff, because as is true in the real world, that's what communicates so much of that what you eat is absolutely reflective of history and politics how you get your water is reflective of that you know in 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 situations like this how you get your air you know like what you do with your dead what you you know like what kind of trade goods you have access to all of these things tell that story without you having to sit down and like you know walk people through you know trade treaty, you know, 31B, and here's how it works. You can just say, you know, this is the permit. You need to get this. And you understand that there's a history there. Attempting to paint a big picture with really small details is is the approach I
1: like best. Have I thought about trying to recreate Dr. Chef's smoky buns? Yes, I have several times. <laughs> <laughs> I think I almost have a recipe down. <laughs>
2: I uh, I am unfortunately absolutely garbage in the kitchen in real life. So I do, I will say I will admit I feel like I'm I'm decent at making a- appealing space food, but I would I would like to
1: eat it too. So <laughs> I would also like to eat all of these things that you describe. The fact that you use food as a way of world building is like such a huge thing. It's one of the big things that grabbed me at the books at first. I was just like, oh, yes, I can picture myself sitting here eating these buns, watching the stars go by in this like beautiful garden. I can see that, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much of reading your books for me and our conversation today reminds me of fandom and fanfic in the best way. Like that was very much the internet that I grew grew up in. And to me, it was so much more interesting to think about, like you said, the background character, the one who is like not named and like what was their life story like? Or, you know, where are the bathrooms and what do the closets look like? And like where do you have breakfast? All of those kind of like intimate or homely almost details are what make a world really real for me. Uh, and I, I just, I love that. I don't have like a pivy way of describing that. <laughs> that is the kind of thing I want to think about when I think about world building, not like a bunch of incomprehensible, you know, like political dynasties or treaties that, you know, it feels almost like a diplomatic briefing book. And it's like, that's not what I want. I want to go to dinner at somebody's house. <laughs>
2: I'm so glad you brought that up for two reasons. One, I will just mention as an aside that I also come from a fanfic background. Like that was very much... That was my life in high school and um and and i lived it well (laughs) one of the things that that i have done to you know further this this whole grand scheme of mine that i've mentioned um is things like what do you eat where do you go to the bathroom where do you sleep because these are the basic questions you ask anytime you go on a trip right if you yourself are planning a vacation that's what you figure out ahead of time. Where am mm-hmm. I staying? What are the facilities like? Where can I eat around there? And what's interesting is if you look at, say, interviews with real world astronauts, those are always the questions that come up in any Q&A session. What do you eat? Where do you go to the bathroom? How do you sleep? They're the, the most basic human questions and it's like we have to have those criteria taken care of before we're willing to like take the jump elsewhere so it's something i i do make a point of answering in all of the books so that you as a tourist in this galaxy can feel a little more comfortable and you know can can settle in easily and and you know go wherever i take you from there
1: Yeah, I mean, there's scenes where different species are talking about the different kind of like cleaning that they do for their bodies, typically, and like what kind of soaps they use and stuff. I'm just like, I love this. This is all the stuff that I want that I don't want to just like read a wiki about. I want to see it and experience it in the world. That's why I describe it as cozy sci-fi, because it's like I'm being invited into someone's home in these books.
0: And that's also the best way to describe difference because it's those daily activities that I have a, you know, a a routine experience of that I just did 10 minutes ago that I'm half thinking about dinner, you know, as I'm like sitting down with a book that transports me to a world like that. I know that kind of adage that like, you know, many writers find that they love world building and then the writing part is kind of more of a drag. Like, how do you come down on that? Like, is that a, a false binary or is that something that you've kind of reckoned with or thought about as you have progressed in your career? For
2: me, that's a false binary. I I feel like those are very different muscles because I love world building. I could do it all day. And if you told me that's my job now is just build worlds, I'd be very happy. But <laughs> I love writing dialogue. Like I, I love, love, love writing dialogue. Because those things go hand in hand, because, you know, I've done all this world building, but what does that actually look like? What does this actually mean to people to throw two characters into a room and have them actually talk about it is when I see that actually start to come to life. So for me, it's just a matter of learning when to stop one and work on the other. It's just, it's just Mm -hmm. figuring out, you know, when do I need to shift gears, you know, and, and how do I make these things work in tandem? But I enjoy both of them equally, I'd say. Uh,
1: Amanda and I both come from, at this point, uh, like RPG backgrounds. And I feel like a lot of what you're describing is kind of like what a dungeon master or a, a game master would do for, in creating their own worlds and creating sessions for their players to build in. Amanda, I think you had a couple of questions
0: related to, to RPGs, right? Yeah, the main one was, I know you play D&D, Becky. Can you tell us about your relationship to uh to tabletop games? Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a
2: huge... Tabletop role player. I've been playing since college. Um, I'm in my mid 30s now, so it's you know, so just to, just to give you the, the time <laughs> span there. There are a few things I love more than sitting down at a table and telling a story with people. And um, I have a campaign I'm in now. Um, we're closing in on our sixth year. Wow! wow. Um, not not D and D. We're playing the um, the Dragon Age tabletop setting.
0: Gotcha. Oh, cool.
2: And I would say a, a, at least an hour out of my day, every day is spent sitting you know, on Discord with my friends and just talking character motivation. It's beautiful. You know, hashing out little scenarios. We go here and we talk about this. What happens? Go. You know, that kind of thing. Um, It's my favorite thing in the world. And it absolutely does inform the way that I write and think about characters. I I don't see how it couldn't be. It's storytelling. It's all storytelling. Whether you're telling a story for, you know, a book that you know, uh, several thousand people are going to read, or whether you're telling a story for five people, it's all the same muscle. It definitely has has shaped, you know. Also, in terms of world building, like I think if you were to hold my wiki up next to say, like you know, Monster Manual or something, you'd see a lot of similarities mm-hmm. <laughs> in the way that they're written. I'm sure there are other ways um, that it's influenced me that I haven't even thought of, but it, it is um, just such a core part of. Of how I go about life.
0: Yeah, the main thing that comes to mind for me, like noticing in books and stories after becoming a tabletop role-playing game player versus before is sort of cause and effect where like something that my character does in a party in a game is going to have effects on what happens next, on what just happened, on my other players, on, you know, where the plot goes from here. And I remember struggling with that as a writer, thinking like it seems as if I'm just sort of charting like a path through the wilderness and like the next step I have to figure out on my own. But kind of seeing every option as a chain of cause and effect, none of which is necessarily good or bad, but all of which like have consequences to me is so much more interesting.
2: I think too the idea of in in video games and role-playing games, branching dialogue is something that has Mm
0: -hmm. really shaped the way
2: I think about stories, you know, in that, okay, here's the question, what are all the different ways this could go and playing with that? And I definitely do that in my own fiction. I will try on dialogue in a lot of different directions and see which one I think fits best this idea that there is no one way to tell a story that stories are very malleable um and that you know one little offhand comment can change everything that's huge that's probably one of the biggest shifts i've had um in thinking about storytelling is is and counting stories that changed with me.
0: That's something else that fanfic really kind of imprinted on my brain that I didn't realize was from fandom mm-hmm. is like the AU, you know, mm-hmm. and the this little moment changes in books, th- you know, three of 10. And look how different the world is by the time we get to the end of the plot. Right. Absolutely.
1: I do need to ask just because I'm always curious. Can you tell me about your tabletop RPG character? Are you Please really asking? Know. This is
2: the greatest moment of my Please. life.
1: Every time someone tells me they play D&D or a tabletop RPG, I need to know about their character immediately. It says so much about them. The little girl in me
2: who just was desperate to talk to somebody about nerdy stuff, if I could go back and be like, guess what? You're going to be 35 and someone on a podcast, you don't know what a podcast (laughs) is yet. Someone's going to put a microphone in front of your face and say, tell us about your OC. And like, <laughs> I, oh, I'm i transcending my physical form. So my character in my in my tabletop campaign, Elodie de Mallette, she's a, um, a would have been chevalier, but she got exiled from the Empire of Orlais. Mm. She is very passionate. She's very stubborn. She's not always the brightest, but she tries. She is loyal to a fault and literally a fault. The biggest problems in our campaign currently stem from her. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Has a lot of opinions. <laughs> about wine, and about really everything. Um, She's a lot of fun to play. And
0: I should probably stop there. No. (laughs) It's a safe space, Becky. Tell us.
1: So the last half hour is just going to be Becky telling us all about this character and the entire plot lines.
2: I'm going to tell you about Elodie for the next hour. That's the podcast now.
1: You can just sum up six years of uh, (laughs) of campaign. Yeah, yeah. No problem. 30 minutes, right? That's Mm -hmm. fine. That is wonderful. Oh my gosh. And I'm so delighted that we could give you that moment. Thank too. you.
2: I'm going I'm going to dine off of this for the rest of the week. <laughs>
1: we were talking a little bit earlier when we were talking about like, where do you go? How do you get there? Where do you use the bathroom? What do you eat? And I really love the kind of portrayal that you do of accommodating for different bodies. So one of the big things that you'll mention kind of passingly in the books that I noticed was like, oh, well, you know, this chair wasn't comfortable for this character because it was human designed and this is supposed to be a Laru style uh, Mm -hmm. chair or something like that. Yeah. Or just like the entire plot of a uh, closed in common orbit with Citra and her adapting to this new body. And I just, I really love the way that you you spend time kind of showing. I, I wouldn't even call it disability, but like accessibility for different bodies depending on where they are in the world. And I think it's something that a lot of science fiction writers don't think about, and especially when they're dealing with other species. So I just, I don't want to like commend you for that, but it, <laughs> I, I, I'm so curious as to like why that was. So something you thought was super important to include?
2: I think with all of this is that comes back to a very core idea for me, which is that humans are not the default template for the universe. You know, I hate that idea. I really hate the idea (laughs) that we are the end all be all of evolution, that everything else is some weird variant of us. Um, And I think that's a, you know something that is a real problem for us in the real world as well that we think of this world as being made for us whereas like there's so much incredible biological diversity out there and our bodies are not even remotely the norm things like that is is just tying into that idea when i go about creating species i'm usually working with biology first um that's usually where i start you know it was important to me to make sure that while we do have, you know, non-human bipedal species in this universe, they're not exactly like us. It's not just us with a latex forehead, you know. <laughs> and you know, and there are a lot more that aren't like us. They've got exoskeletons, they've got a lot of legs, they, you know, they're they're different. I just wanted to make it as clear as possible that this is not a universe intended for us. It is a universe we're sharing with other people. And in that, you have to get creative about how to make lots of different sorts of bodies comfortable.
1: Yeah, there is a specific scene that I'm thinking about in uh, To Be Taught, If Fortunate, uh, which I don't want to spoil for anyone because it's a delightful book. But that one scene where they get off of the ship and they go, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah.
2: I know precisely which scene you meant and I will like oh, yes, not spoiled. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is biology. I, I think it's so it's so boring. It's so boring to think about a universe that that only has things that look like us. I I don't want to live there.
1: And like from a scientific perspective, evolutionary wise, it took so many like random happenstances to create the bodies that humans have or just like mammals have in general that it would make no sense for another species to develop the exact same way, only slightly different on other planets. It just doesn't make sense.
2: It doesn't make any sense. And especially when you consider that mammals are not in the majority here on planet Earth. Most things are... Other than that. You know, all you have to do is just, you know, go look at a deep sea camera or something and look at just how incredibly variant these things can be. And I think there's so much beauty in that.
1: Yeah. That's one way to terrify yourself on a on a Friday morning is to just look at any sort of deep sea camera and be like, oh no.
0: Your terror is my joy. So (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I do really love knowing what percentage of me is bacteria. That is just like it's delicious to me. Like I am a closed orbit of other creatures inside me that are symbiotic. And that's beautiful. It is.
2: You're your own environment. You're your own ecosystem. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. For sure. it also strikes me as a very queer thing to have lots of different kinds of you know bodies families attractions you know notions of gender and sexuality as a queer person myself like it feels like i'm walking into a house that sees me and like gives me the nod to see that kind of thing in a book and i almost don't even have a question here because like i i don't want it to be remarkable i don't know i don't think it should be a thing that is brave to put out there but it's a thing i appreciate and um i i wonder if you have anything you want to share on that topic
2: yeah no i mean i think that's it is that i i want to be as unremarkable as possible because I am absolutely giving you that nod because I can't imagine writing like what would be the point what would be the point in me as a queer person writing a universe in which we weren't effortlessly accepted like I can't fathom the thinking that would lead me to that conclusion I wrote the universe I want to live in in that respect of this is unremarkable. It's just comfortable. It's just here, and we don't have to talk about it. There's no coming out. There's no labels for it. there It's just here. It's just intrinsic. It's part of the fabric. We can move on with our lives and just be whoever we need to be. So I am very happy that you that you felt that way because um' that's something that's always been absolutely crucial for me in writing these, but also in a way where I don't actually have to try.
0: (laughs) It's like being out with all queer friends or like being in a in queer spaces on the Internet where it's like, yes, of course, like it's not striking me that all of us is here because all of us are just, you know, various gender sexualities, you know, define ourselves in various ways. And like it's we don't see each other's differences or our differences from, you know, the the heteronormative Mm -hmm. uh, standard. Right. It's just like, hey, we're people. These are all parts of what make us like beautiful, different beings. You know, let's like order drinks. Exactly. Exactly. And just because, you know, that is
1: so common in your books and the norm in your books, it does feel like in a world where that isn't common, it feels like a celebration of difference. And I think that's what makes your books uh, so beautiful and something that I would want to thank you for. Oh, well, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Of course. It's okay. This is the gushing about Becky Chambers uh, <laughs> section of the podcast. There's a stinger that we wrote specifically for this. No, I'm kidding.
0: Well, here I, I have one question that is like quoting your biography to you. Um, so oh, I, I, I read Becky on your site that your family worked in space science. And I just, I had a little flash of like child Becky being like, no parents, I'm going to write Earth books. And so I'm just curious how that affected your, your upbringing <laughs> and if you're surprised to find yourself uh writing in space now
2: that's a great question so yeah my my background is my my mom is a she's an astrobiology educator my dad is retired now uh but he was an aerospace engineer uh my grandfather was a ye old school rocket scientist he worked on apollo and later the the space shuttle like I, that's just that was wow. just normal for me it did not <laughs> occurred to me that other people did not have lives like this. I just thought like everyone's interested in space. That's just how it is. I'm the weird artsy one in the family. I majored in theater. I never felt pressured in that reg- regard. Like one of the things I really appreciate about my upbringing is that my parents really just kind of gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted to do. That stuff was very much, all you know, in the background, but you know, so were there other interests as well? And I was encouraged to go whatever direction I wanted to go. It's not really a surprise to me that that I ended up here. In some ways, it's funny because I feel like space is something I came to on my own, which obviously is completely untrue given the <laughs> background I've just illustrated. But I can think of a lot of other things that my parents are, are passionate about or interested in that bounced right off of me. Space was something that that I formed my own affection for and deep attachment to Um, And obviously they were there to foster that, but it is something that, that I feel I have a very intimate relationship with outside of just my family. So to me, it feels like a very natural evolution. And even the fact that like, I do have an arts background um, and yet ended up here, that all feels part of it as well. You know, like the, the reason I, I didn't stick with theater, I did work in it for a while after college, but I looked at it and I was like, these aren't the stories I'm interested in. Like the the stories I'm interested in are not being told here. Like I leave, you know, rehearsal or, or come home from work or whatever. And I immediately go watch Star Trek and play video games, you know, and I, at some point I was like, that's what I need to listen to. So, yeah, I just it's definitely something. I absorbed from through osmosis, but um, now it feels like a very natural progression to me.
0: I love when people's careers are like a unique Venn diagram of all the factors that went into making you you and, you know, no other more direct path could have led there because it is by definition, you know, like the nexus of many overlapping circles. Are there any video games, Becky, that you find yourself returning to like a comfort play for you? Um,
2: Dragon Age is definitely a big one for me as evidenced by our, our previous conversation. <laughs> I tend to not replay games a lot. Often I find that I will bury my head in something and it becomes my entire life for a few months and then I move on to the next. So it's it's rare that that I move backwards. Things that I really appreciate and that I felt like scratched a, a similar itch to my stuff. Um, the game Outer Wilds, which came out a couple of years ago, was one where I was like, I just wanted to grab that game by the collar and like shake it and be like, I love you so much. Um, so <laughs> I have no point to this other than I just wanted to put that out there because I feel like it's a game more people should play. And if you're looking for cozy space stories, it's definitely one of them. In general, I tend to gravitate toward RPGs and stealth games as well. Those are my happy places.
1: What are you currently uh, in the middle of right now? I just started Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Fun. So Very yes. good. yes. <laughs>
0: good world building in those
2: games great world building in those games i loved odyssey yeah. i loved it
1: i i haven't played since the egyptian one and i need to pick them up again i'm just terrible at stealth i'm much better at a hack <laughs> and slash so uh so that's been my my one thing keeping me away from the games for right now but i'll have to for the stories. I've heard you can romance the shit out of people in uh, Odyssey. So I feel like I have to pick that up. You can. I absolutely
0: slept my way through the Greek Isles. and Oh, hell I- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. What What more could one want? from Escapist Entertainment. Like, that sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Becky Chambers, if our audience has not been convinced to buy your books or check them out from their local library, I, I don't know what to tell you, uh, folks, but it's been a delightful conversation and people can find links to your site and your works and uh, a place to buy your books via bookshop.org in the description of the episode.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Of course. And we're we're looking forward to all of your new releases that are coming out in 2021 and the foreseeable future. And remember, everybody, stay creepy, stay cool.